Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Peter Christofides at our Buragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Thank you, Linda. Friends, in verses 15 and 17, we've got the word Lord there. It's actually capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is the Hebrew word Yahweh. Because there are no vowels, so in English we say Yahweh, but in the original there are no vowels in the Hebrew, and so it's Yahweh. The creator of the universe, the one who is self-existent, the one who is eternal, is on your side. And so the one that you have rebelled against is on your side if you seek him. And so I think it's fair to say that there is an awesome future for those who love God. For those who love God. And so Zephaniah explains the glorious future of Israel. But I think we can fast forward that to today. And actually say that there is a God that is on your side and on my side. Because we are engrafted as men and women of God. As children of Israel in the New Testament. And so this promise flows through to you and to me if we turn and seek God. But folks, sometimes we just turn and we don't really turn to the depth of who God really is. We kind of go, yes, we know each other, we know about God. But here the passage um, talks about seeking God. That word seek, bakwash, means to ask and to strive after. It's got this understanding of begging God to show us his plan and his purpose. To search him and inquire about him. And that's the greatest place somebody could be this side of eternity. To search after the things of God. And as we search after him, he comes alongside us. And he takes us into his fold. And he loves us like an affectionate father loves a child. And he says, you shall not be put to shame. Your enemies will be scattered as it were. And here we read about a God who is a mighty warrior who saves. Where he will, he will go out of his way to, to woo you into his kingdom as it were. And then in verse 14 it says it so beautifully, sing daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart. There is a repetition of words to emphasize how awesome this is. And it just grows and grows and grows. And Sing, shout, be glad, rejoice with all your heart. Why? Why? Because the humble and lowly will be worshiping the true and living God for eternity. Why can we do this? Because evil has been removed. And so God rejoices over that. There is no more fear for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. For those who turn to God, there is no more fear. 
And in verse 17, the Lord will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. No more accusations will be pointed and made against you. Calvin said it this way, as a man caresses his dearest wife, so will God then quietly repose in thy love. And so Zephaniah says that God will rejoice over us. And that word rejoice has got to do, he'll be cheerful. It will be bright as it were, because it's good news. In fact, it carries on and, and God will rejoice uh, with us with, with gladness. It says he will extol over you with a shout of joy. That word exult over you is the Hebrew word hol, which means he will spin around about you and about me. That's how delighted he is when we are in his kingdom. Now you might ask, <laughs> can God do that? Absolutely, that's what he does. He goes gaga over you. Greek word, no. He goes gaga over us. Why? Because we are his children. My little boy plays soccer. And when he scores a goal, because my wife has removed me from the side that she's standing on to the other side of the field, because she believes that her husband is a lunatic, I go crazy when that little guy scores a goal. I do, not as bad as cartwheels, because that's quite a sorry sight, but I spin in circles because my boy has scored a goal. When he hits that home run, <laughs> wow, I run around the bases faster than him. <laughs> Why? Because that's my boy. I can identify with him, and I'm delighted. Get the point? There's an awesome future for those who love God. Not only that, but God will rejoice over us the way I've just explained to you. And you think, wow, is, is it possible that God will rejoice over us? Yes, it is. It is possible. You might um, be sitting here today and you say, well, you know, uh, I'm not sure if God will rejoice. You know, that he had to do a job and send his son Jesus to the cross. And some people say, well, there needs to be this plea bargaining with a great judge. And there needs to be a bit of a contract and he'll slip some of us in heaven. Some of us, you know, who are better than others, he'll slip us in. That's not the case at all. And they go, well, uh, some people say, well, I just want to make it by the skin of my teeth. Folk, God rejoices. He spins around. I never said it. The Bible says it. He spins around and rejoices over you and over me because we are his children. That great judge that sent his son Jesus to pay the price for you and for me, the one we can trust in, says, come, be on my side. Come, I want to put a ring on your finger. I want to give you a new robe. I want to put sandals on your feet. I want us to kill the fatted calf, and I want us to rejoice and have a party together. Why? Because he's a God that is affectionate. And he wants to bestow his love to you and to me. Wow, is that possible that God will do that? Isn't that a little bit too undignified of God to do that? Well, friends, the symbolism is clear from the scriptures. He longs to do that. Is it possible that the true and living God, yeah, 
who created the universe will come and bow down to us. That's not what it's saying. It's saying he will rejoice over us. In fact, Jesus said there is more jubilation in heaven when one sinner comes to the kingdom than anywhere else. Wow, isn't that amazing that the true and living God wants to have a party over you and over me? In fact, God is proud of us because it says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. It says that in Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And so that word workmanship is the Greek word pima, where we get the English word poem. The author of a poem is the one who creates the poem. He, the creator, has created you and I, and no poet wants to write junk. And so you and I are his bima, his workmanship created. Ktizo is the word, and builds us up. He puts up, there's a picture of a canvas and he paints something amazing out of you and out of me and he is proud of it. No painter goes and says, well, let me put something together and let me just make a mess of it uh, just so I can feel better. Some do, but that's not a work of art then. They are proud of what they have put together. And that's what God is saying of your life and of my life. After the first service, uh, a Hebrew lady, a Jewish lady came to me and she said to me, the Hebrew word, bima, means that somebody comes and reads the scriptures, which are the word of God. And so as the author has written the truth, the scriptures, the Old Testament Torah, he has written that. We read it because he's the author of it. He's the author of the scriptures. As he works his way in your life and in my life, as his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, he makes it something beautiful. Will God really do that? Yes, he does because we are his children and he longs to give us not second best, but the absolute best because that's who he is and he longs to bestow this affectionate love onto you and onto me. I'm reminded of that in Luke chapter 15 where Jesus told three parables. The parable of the lost sheep. There were 99 sheep. One goes missing. What does a shepherd boy do? Uh, you know what, there's 99 Now, let me just kind of, he goes after that one, the power of that one. And then this lady who's got a beautiful headdress that's been handed down through her, down through the years, and she got married in it because of her pride and joy. One of those coins, not a little five cent or 10 cent, a coin that's extremely symbolic and meaningful on her headdress goes missing pictures of her turning the house upside down to find that one coin because it makes her complete. And then he gives the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. 
And let me read you that story, please. Luke 15, 11 to 24. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. He divided his property between them. No long after that, the younger son got together all he had, settled for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who set him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. We often call this the parable of the prodigal son. And that word prodigal means unwise spending. The son that went off and spent in inheritance unwisely. But the key figure of this parable, of the story that Jesus tells, is about the father. There are two other sub-characters. The one son, the youngest one, but then also later on the oldest one. But I want us to see the wonder and the beauty of the affectionate love of God. And firstly, I want us to see that this affectionate love mourns our foolish behavior. You see, this younger son had essentially wished his father dead. And he goes to his father and he says, Father, I know you're not dead yet, but can I have my inheritance now, please? And Jewish culture at the time said that the oldest son would get two-thirds of the inheritance so he could look after his mother and the family that was left behind, and the younger son would get a third. And so by the younger son going to the father and saying, can I have my inheritance, he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead already. What a shame. And so that grieved the father. The father was moved by that. I'm sure over time goes and sells a few assets to liquidate himself so he can give the son the inheritance. And he goes and gives it to him. And the Bible says that the son goes off and squanders it in his foolish behavior. In his foolish behavior. That's a typical example of a rebellious, ill-disciplined child who turns his back on the family and the father. And the father's heart is broken. Folk, that's 
an illustration of us when we walk away from God. The father is wounded. The father is not happy because his children are not in the right place. And we know that so well. And it wounds the father a lot because the father loves a lot. That's his affectionate love. That word affectionate means it's demonstrated. It is warm and friendly and kind and caring love. No wonder when everything is fine, the father is happy to rejoice and dance. But the father mourns in this particular case. Just as God mourned the Old Testament Israelites when they turned their back on God and rebelled and married with other gods and intermarried. He wanted to be the true and living God, but they turn their back on the true and living God and intermarry. You see, the greater the capacity to love, the greater the pain. My mother used to tell me that. When us as kids used to have a bit of a, <laughs> a squabble, she'll say, you'll only understand when you have your own children. Only got one, but boy, does it hurt me when kind of, you know, something goes wrong. That's the father heart of God. It's an affectionate love. It's demonstrative. It's kind. It's warm. It gives of itself. And so when there's rebellion, it mourns the children's foolish behavior. But secondly, this affectionate love is always available if we want it. Although the son goes wayward, goes off to a far country, lived a great life, high life, Strip joints, casinos, if you like, uh, went, squandered his money, did the craziest thing in the bars. Bible says in, in Luke 15, verse 13, Jesus describes it with six words. It says, he squandered his wealth in wild living. That word squandered there is the word via scorpizo. It's kind of, he took whatever he had and he segregated it. He separated it. In other words, from what, he represent, what represented his inheritance and his family, he was able to via, via scorpizo. He, he segregated it and, and tore it apart. In other words, I don't actually care, and I separated it. Almost easy come, easy go scenario. Little did he know that his father is mourning him and the pain that's deep down inside then there's a beautiful little section that follows that and says, when he came to his senses. The Bible basically says there, when he came to himself. When he came to himself. In other words, his nous, his thinking was put into action and he came to his senses. He was able to go, I'm not in the right place. I need to go back to where I came from. Before he was in the pig pen, swallowing bad food, but what was worse, he had to swallow his pride. And he comes to his senses and he starts coming back, that long journey coming home. How does the father receive him? Well, there's uh, stories about the old Jewish rabbis that used to say that, that when 
a rebellious son comes back, the father is to punish that son so he could be an illustration of any future rebellious children to him and to those around. And Jesus would have known that, but so would everybody else have known that. And Jesus puts a twist to that story. You kind of think, well, here comes that son. I'm going to punish him. I'm going to punish him. And rightly so. Because it says in Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 to 21, if a man has a stubborn and a rebellious son who does not obey, his father and mother shall bring him to the elders and say, the son of yours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a profligate and a drunkard, then all the men shall stone him to death. Jesus knew that. Those people knew that. And one day, as the father did each night, as he watches the sun go down, he's standing behind this stone wall of his, and he looks in the distance, as he did every night, and he sees somebody that looked like his son. And he sees from a distance, the Bible says he runs, he took his robes and he didn't care what it was. And he runs. The Bible says he picks up his son and he kisses him and he holds him. (laughs) And he says, my son that was lost has been found. He's come home. He's come home. And he kisses him. Must have been Greek. (laughs) And he kisses him. Does he say, bring the rabbis, let's sort him out now and stone him to death? No. He comes and he says, bring him a brand new robe. He's not a slave with no shoes. Put on beautiful sandals for him. And he says, give him a new ring to restore his inheritance. Wow, what affectionate love. And he brings him inside and he says to him, this is my son, bonus, kill the fatted calf. It's time to celebrate. Zephaniah 3, as in the Old Testament, Israel, your rebellion I will wipe away. You'll be my children. The New Testament, son, you're now back, you're welcome back. The son wants to go off and say, I'm not worthy. The father draws him back and says, come here. I love you too much. I love you too much. Thank you, son. Father shows compassion to anybody who comes back. If you've got a child that's been rebellious, Never stop hoping because the Father's affectionate love is powerful. It's powerful. I'm not asking you to have false hope. I'm not thinking you need to make a paradigm shift in your mind. You and I both know that that is a miracle that takes place. Jesus changed the way he told that story Why? Because the affectionate love of God and it's always available when we come back.
beautiful Greek word that's used there, katafileo. He carried on kissing him. Wow. Why? Because something that was lost has been found. It wasn't a lost sheep. It wasn't a lost coin. But his son had come home. Smelly. In the pig pen. I don't care. I don't care. Because that fellowship with the father had been restored. You see, when we are parents, the blood never changes. Maybe the fellowship grows a little bit apart, but that intimate relationship is always there to be restored, and it's always available if we want. And thirdly and in closing, that affectionate love restores the brokenhearted. Comes and he's probably walking back and he needs to come and prepare his speech before the Father. And as he does that, he says, it says in verse 21 of Luke 15, I've sinned against heaven. That's true. He sinned against heaven because as a son, he sinned against God. He was not submissive to the protocol of the family. Secondly, it says, He says to his father, I've sinned against you, father. And that's true because he turned his back on his father. He went off. He wished him dead. Turns his back on his father. But thirdly, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He would have known that was right. But friends, that's not true. Because the father's love always welcomes him back. He has the best robe, sandals, ring, restores his relationship, and let's rejoice, is what the Father says. I don't know what your understanding of God is, but I don't think he's there waiting to knock us over the head every time we put the wrong foot in the wrong place. He's there as an affectionate, loving God who welcomes us If I were to use the illustration of of somebody that's uh, in the sun and receiving the awesome sun rays and we go into the shade, we choose to go into the shade. But God longs for us to be under him in the sun to feel that affectionate warmth and love that he so freely gives to you and to me. I suggest to you that's the true and living God of the scriptures. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts. Thank you for the sacrifice that was made, not with silver or gold, but by your blood. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, as we seek your face, we pray that you'll reveal yourself to us. For we long to be under your affectionate love. Move us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.